The latest 30 for 30, Al Davis versus the NFL, looks back on the long-running feud between Raiders owner Al Davis and NFL commissioner Pete Rozelle, two of the most influential figures in the history of pro football. Beginning in the mid-1960s when Rozelle was the NFL's young commissioner and Davis led the rival AFL and continuing through the 1980s when Davis waged a lawsuit against the league to allow him to move the Raiders from Oakland to Los Angeles. The two Titans were constantly and very publicly at odds. The latest 30 for 30, Al Davis versus the NFL, premieres February 4th at 9 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. Immediately following its debut, check out the Jalen and Jacoby, the after show podcast, where the guys will be joined by director Ken Rogers. Listen and subscribe to Jalen and Jacoby, the after show, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into another edition of the First Draft Podcast. Field Yates, Todd McShay, and Mel Kuyper Jr., of course, the two men that are the NFL Draft. And we're doing things a little bit different this week, guys, and I don't want the pressure to be on too much. But starting this week, you can go to the ESPN YouTube channel and catch out video of the First Draft Podcast. I can see a little bit of nerves there from you, Todd. You're going to be able to make it through this show? I think so, man. I think okay. so. And, and yeah. Mel, we're we going to be able to handle this one, Mel? As long as Kim's in the background somewhere handling all the uh, all the technical <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, I have my tech support here ready and willing to offer any uh, support we need. But no, ready to go for you Good. All the haters out there that told us we had faces for radio. This is uh, our little <laughs> dose of revenge being sent back their way. Uh, it's Tuesday, February 2nd, which means we're just three days removed from the 2021 Reese's Senior Bowl. And everybody wants to know about the players that boosted their draft stock last week. Maybe somebody who did not improve their draft stock last week. Of course, Todd and I were both down there in Mobile and Mel was tuned into the coverage throughout the week. But before we get to some of the risers and fallers, Todd, I wanted to hit you uh, after being there for three days this past week seeing practices, talking with coaches and players and scouts that were there. Uh, what were your biggest takeaways from the 2020 Senior Bowl week that might be relevant for the next couple of months ahead? First of all, how did Jim Nagy and his staff pull this off? Amen. I mean, honestly, we're not having a combine. The, the pro days are, are going to happen, but only two scouts is what I'm told, or maybe three scouts are allowed from each team to attend an, an event. Uh, the, all the other all-star games were canceled. And basically, there's no postseason outside of the Senior Bowl. So how did they pull it off? I, I think just, you know, hats off to them. Just some of the stories about all the tests that they had to do every day. The, the $12,000 they spent on plexiglass so that these players could actually, for the first time all year, and probably maybe the last time all year, have a one-on-one -on -one face face-to-face interaction with a head coach, a general manager, a scout, whoever it is from that organization. So that was the first thing that really stood out. The other thing was, and I would say offensive line, but I don't want to bore everyone, but the pass catchers to me were better this year than you normally see. Usually it's a bunch of underclassmen that are stealing the show. And we have plenty of those this year with Devontae Smith coming off of the, you know, as the Heisman winner and, and Jalen Waddle coming back from injury, both the Alabama wide receivers first round and Jamar Chase from LSU could be the first receiver off the board. But I was impressed with, with Shai Smith, a guy that I didn't get to watch a whole lot of this, this past year, uh, you know, playing for South Carolina. He's at, he had averaged about 47 catches the last three years, never had great quarterback play. But to see him on the field as that undersized slot receiver and getting off the coverage in and out of breaks and all the little things that he does, that was fun to watch. Um, Kadarius Toney was another guy. And 
yes, there were some drops, the Florida wide receiver. But I think this season he worked his way into the first round. And the thing that people didn't quite notice was that he got tangled up, I think, on the Tuesday practice, the first practice, and then hit the goal line, hit the, um, the goal post. And he either got a rib injury or he kept saying to the trainers, I, I'm having trouble breathing. And so going out and reaching for some catches is difficult. So, yeah, he had a couple drops, but you can see the explosion that he brings to the field. And as an offensive weapon, this is a guy who's, who's really rising. And even the tight ends, Hunter Long from BC had a great week, was named the uh, practice player for his team by the, by the, the opposing defenders. And then uh, Trey McKitty from Georgia. There's a guy who transferred from Florida State, went to Georgia, was underused, came in, and I thought he was probably the most athletic tight end in the senior bowl. And I think he, he made himself a lot of money, maybe now as a mid-round pick where everyone was looking at him and saying, well, the production doesn't match up with the athleticism. He's probably going to go sixth, seventh round. I could see third, fourth round for a guy like McKinney. Yeah, I remember learning in my early days of scouting that we don't draft production, we draft traits. And somebody traits, like Trey yeah. McKitty is a good example of why you're drafting those traits. As we look forward to the game, or as we move forward to the game itself, Mel, and ask you about a couple of the takeaways. We'll get to a bunch of players that rose, maybe fell during the week of practice and the game. But the game itself obviously is the, you know, the cherry on top of the week and the efforts. Kellen Mond from Texas A&M, who, of course, basically played for four straight years there at College Station, won the MVP. He had a big third quarter. He passed for 141 yards in the third quarter uh, alone and had really a second half that will be remembered for a long time for Kellen uh, and potentially impacting his draft stock. Uh, what are your impressions of him as a player, a guy that a lot of college football fans are familiar with because he started so many games, but how does he project at the NFL level? Yeah, I always thought he could be maybe like a Kirk Cousins type fourth round pick. You know, after Kyle Schrass, looking for that seventh quarterback, who will that be? Would it be Sam Ellinger? Would Jamie Newman slip in there? Who was it really going to be? And Kellen Mond looks like he has certainly a great opportunity uh, to be that type of player and maybe be in that fourth round discussion. And we talk about Jimbo Fisher and quarterbacks and what he was able to go through there without the receiving entities at Texas A&M with that veteran offensive line. Uh, the running game and the tight ends, obviously a key element of that offense. But I think you look at Kellen Mond now as an early day three pick, I think is very possible. I think for Jim Nagy to bring that, that mix of players, that blend of players, the opt-outs, guys from the, you know, the one double a ranks, division two, II, division three, all the lesser uh, you know, levels of competition where these guys needed to be there at Dylan Ratings at North Dakota state uh, to go from having just one game this year, October 3rd, and have a great 2019 season to see Ratings play as well as he did uh, certainly gets him into that uh, first round, second round discussion. Obviously he was in the second round. Now he could be in the first round mix and to see a K Johnson come out of South Dakota state and go down there and, and, and look like he belonged anywhere. Could have played in any major college program was great to see. Then the late additions, Todd, you were there and saw Monday, a uh, John Bates tight end from Boise state and you feel as well. See him come down to mobile and take advantage of the opportunity. A uh, great athlete, a kid who certainly has all the measurables you want to see him go out and perform the way he did uh, was great to see. And then the big corners, the Keith Taylor at Washington and the Benjamin St. Juice at Minnesota, the guys with that length and that size, it was kind of rare to see, be able to hold their own at those cornerback spots. Taylor, I thought, had a really good week and St. Juice as well. So I like the blend of players that were down there uh, that Jim Nagy put together was outstanding. It's funny, you sometimes have this, you know, I'm trying to resist the temptation to inflate the value of these players just because I spent three or four days with them. But then I reminded myself that if you go back and look at the number of players that played in the 2020 Senior Bowl last year, 
that ended up on a 53-man roster or practice squad, what you realize is that somewhere between 80 and 90% of the players that we just spent the past week evaluating are going to be on NFL roster one way or the other. So let's get more specific on some of those players that we saw rise this week. And I want to specifically start with Todd on Mac Jones, only because you know, not that Mac and, and the practice stuff you saw on TV was not impressive, but it does feel, at least to me, Todd, like some of the stuff that you saw at field level when the cameras weren't rolling on Mac Jones were part of the reasons why his stock, whether artificially or actually, did rise this past week in Mobile. Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to cover him three games this year and get to talk to him and get to kind of know him a little bit and, and to see what drives him and to see a guy who, you know, the transfer portal is everything in college football right now, right? All these quarterbacks are moving around like free agents and just finding their spots so they can go play. He hung around and he waited his turn. He got four starts a year ago in the biggest game of the year in the, in the Iron Bowl against Auburn. He has two pick sixes in that game and bounces back from that. So right there, you know, this guy can overcome adversity. Plays great in the Michigan game. They win the, the bowl game. Comes back this year and, and runs the table. 13 wins. When I talked to C Steve Sarkeesian before our first game, which was within the first three weeks of the season, I think it was Missouri, he said, we, we just need him to stay in his lane because we've got an offensive line with three guys who are going to go to the NFL. We've got two receivers at that time who are going to be first-round picks and Devontae Smith and, and uh, Jalen Waddle. We've got a running back in Najee Harris who could be the first back off the board. We've got talent all around you. Stay in your lane. By the second game, he said, well, he's, you know, he's starting to come along. He's so intelligent that we're opening things up for him. And by the third time we covered him, it's like, this is his offense. He's got this. I'm giving him more than I ever expected to give a college quarterback, and he is absorbing it, and he's the engine that's driving all this. And so you, you know the intelligence, having talked to him, then see him on the field, the leadership that he brings and the confidence that he has, how poised he is. It's not just because he had a great supporting cast. It's because he has a great mind for the game, and he, he understands what he's looking for. And I, I thought, you know, he didn't play in the, in the actual senior bowl game, but I thought during those three practices, he was the steadiest of the three quarterbacks. And everyone was looking to pick holes in him because he was the big name guy from Alabama in Mobile, Alabama, and everyone wanted to see him. And he did nothing but just kind of perform the way he should the whole week. Yeah, I, I noted this recently, Mel, how basically every year there's a theme that a quarterback goes to the Senior Bowl and shines and it lifts his draft status to the point that we're hearing his name called early in the first round. I left Mobile wondering whether Mac Jones even makes it to, for example, the Patriots at pick 15. Is Based off the tape and what you saw this past week, is that too rich? No, not at all. Not at all. And I think Matt rules down there for Carolina looking at a quarterback. So yeah. yeah, I don't think it's too rich at all. I think you look at the way he was able to communicate the play, the verbiage to the huddle in and out of everything so quickly uh, was very impressive to watch his mind, his intelligence, uh, his competitiveness. Uh, you know, we know about his accuracy. Uh, I talked about what Brady looked like coming out of Michigan. He kind of looks like coming out of Alabama. It doesn't mean he's going to be anywhere close to Tom Brady, but he kind of looks like Tom Brady did coming out of Michigan. Not what he became, but what he was coming out. Hmm. And for Mac, I think New England would make a lot of sense for Mac Jones. But I think the playing of the game didn't matter. What he did during the week was enough uh, to certainly put him and rise him above. And I, I don't know if, if because Mac was so good, the other quarterbacks weren't as impressive or however you want to slice it, but there was a miles in terms of the separation for me. And uh, I don't think 15 is out of consideration for New England. They have to look at him. Carolina being there with him. How do you not, if you're Matt Rule, 
and you maybe you can't get up to get Zach Wilson or say Justin Fields, and you feel like, okay, I'm stuck here at eight, and I need a quarterback. I don't know how after those uh, three, four days in Mobile with Mac Jones that if you're Matt Rule, you can't feel like, boy, this is a guy I got to strongly look at to be my quarterback. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater's there. Trey Lance is intriguing because he could be – it'll be a good situation for Trey to be there or be in San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo, but certainly for Mac Jones, I think Carolina or New England. Kuiper, this is, this is going to be fun. I mean, we have five quarterbacks that are very different that all could go in the first round. We're talking about Trevor Lawrence, obviously. You mentioned Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac, uh, Zach Wilson, and, and Mac Jones. So those are the five guys. And we've got a bunch of teams kind of scattered throughout the, the first 20 picks that have quarterback needs. You know, the Jets are sending a two after Trevor presumably is going to go number one to Jacksonville. And then I think it's going to be a, a trading frenzy. Wait till you see my February 10th mock draft, Piper. You're going to be talking about it a lot, I tell you. Yeah, well, you know, it's coming. I, I've already started kind of playing with it a little bit, and I've already got three trades in the top ten. I can tell you that right now. So we'll see how it plays out. But my point is you get, you've got Atlanta at four. You've got Carolina at eight. You've got the Bears sitting there. You've got the Patriots at 15. There are plenty of teams to match up. The supply and demand finally match up at that quarterback spot this year, and they're all very different types of quarterbacks. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Let's go into some quick-hitting fashion here in the interest of time of other players that we thought saw their stock rise this past week. Mel, I'll start with you. Michael Carter, the running back from North Carolina. He, he can be difficult to find because he's a little guy, but he can really scoot. He can. And I tell you, you look at it, I think maybe third round, I think all these running backs are going to go with bargain points. But the production at North Carolina – uh, and the way he, as you can say, can get to the hole and, and the quickness and the burst and the acceleration, and the attitude, the approach. Javante Williams was right there with him at North right. Carolina, kind of a different style of runner. There's a little pace there to his running style and a guy who has, certainly can break tackles, Javante Williams, and was equally as productive, equally as dominant. So, and Sam Howell, quarterback, we're going to be talking about him next year for Mac Brown. But I think Michael Carter uh, certainly helped himself solidify a position on day two. Uh, and I think when you look at uh, the wide receiver position, Todd mentioned a lot of guys. Another guy I thought 
uh, you know, was outstanding all week. And I think in addition to Kay Johnson, who I mentioned earlier, I talked, I talked about Dwayne Eskridge a lot, Shai Smith a lot, Josh Palmer from Tennessee, uh, Des Fitzpatrick from Louisville. Uh, but I think when you look at the, uh, the situation there with a player like that, Michael Carter, and I really believe with the running backs, because you have a lot. Trey Sermon got hot late in the year uh, at Ohio State. There's a lot of running backs that may go a round or two later than they really should. And, Todd, I have Michael Carter now slot as a three. What do you think about that? Do you think it's too high, too low? Third no, round, I think that's Carter, good. I think it could be a good spot. I think that's where he belongs. You know, when, you're, when you get to that third round, you're looking for a guy who, who can contribute in a rotation, maybe be a, that nickel corner, the, the number two back who plays a role. You can move him around. He can, you, can, you can take him out to the slot. You can throw him the ball out of the backfield. He's really good catching the ball. Very smooth athlete. He's not a burner, but he's really quick to and through the hole. And that's what I like about him. He's sudden. He's tough. He comes from a military family. He loves the game. There's no character concerns. He's a leader. He's, he checks all of those boxes. So you're bringing in a guy who's going to be a locker room guy who's going to contribute in a lot of different ways for you. Uh, Todd, we use the term beauty a lot. I feel like that's a hockey term sometimes. This guy's a beauty. But I feel like Quinn Maynard is a football beauty. He is from Wisconsin Whitewater. We talked about him last week on the pod. Noted how, you know, he's not just a guy that's funny for the internet. Uh, he is tough. He's physical. He played through injury this past week. A hand injury did not deter him from being on the field. And it seems like what he showed last week is that I don't just dominate inferior competition right. at the D3 level. I can hang with the big bodies that you see at Alabama or any of the other power programs that were represented at the senior bowl there. Well, he, he was not just chilling with his boys this past season because the small school guys, you know, in addition to the opt-outs, the small school guys beyond the Division One, you know, the, the FBS, they couldn't play. They didn't have seasons. So he, he didn't get to play. So I went back to the 2019 tape, and it took about three plays. Like, oh, there he is. I don't even know, need to know his number. There he is. And he's just dominating, guys. In the run game, pass pro was a joke for him. And then he gets down to Mobile, and you wonder how he's going to hold up. And it reminded me a lot of, of uh, Ali Marpet and what he did showing up that week. You don't get a lot of Division Three guys. You get a lot of, you know, the FCS, some Division Two, some JUCO players, but you don't get a lot of Division Three players that come in and dominate during the week of practice. And you don't get them basically at that game very often, period. So for him to play the way he did, I mean, he to me, Mel, I, I could be wrong, but I, I think he's somewhere in the second round. And I mentioned the offensive line, North Dakota State, Dylan Ray Duns, who I think you mentioned before, Mel, he was voted practice player of the week. And the, the last guy who was voted practice player of the entire game was Justin Herbert, your boy, Kuiper. And he won rookie of the year, uh, offensive rookie of the year. Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma had a really good week, I thought. And, and he, you know, after a, a great freshman year, a sophomore year where he kind of, even his coach said that he kind of, he just wasn't the same in terms of his motivation. He had a really good junior year and he comes out and he showed why he belongs in the first two rounds. I think he's going to be an early second round pick and Deontay Smith from East Carolina. So you're talking about, you know, Wisconsin, Whitewater, North Dakota state, East Carolina, these guys are coming in and, and playing at a very high level and shutting down some really good pass rushers from the big time, you know, blue blood programs in college football. 
Yeah, it was a good week for the small school offensive linemen. Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa can also yep. be thrown in there. He's hard to miss. He's, you know, all of six foot eight. On the other side of the ball, Mel, a player that I know caught your eye and also caught ours watching him in drills because he kept dominating was Cam Sample from Tulane. This may not be a draft class that has an edge rusher like a Bosa brother or a Chase Young, but there seems to be some good depth that you can find maybe between, between picks 20 and 60 or so. Yeah, Cameron Sample, Cam Sample had you know five sacks this year. He improved from what he had at the, the previous season in more football games than he had this past year. And I think he's so disruptive and he plays with an attitude. He comes hard every play. Yeah. He doesn't have any lack in, in his ability and to go out there and show consistency in terms of motivation and hustle. See, guys take plays off. Cameron Sample doesn't. Cam Sample plays hard every snap. To go from one and a half sacks to five, Five and a half tackles lost to seven and a half in fewer games. Very impressive to me. Uh, Carlos Boogie Basham, I thought was a guy in the one-on-ones, was unblockable. Uh, to be disruptive as a pass rusher so critical, and that's where Sample got my attention, Todd. It's not a, a stay-at-home types. Those days are over. To be disruptive and be versatile, Sample can give you that. Uh, Boogie Basham, the same thing out of Wake Forest. So I know some of the defensive line and penetration, disruptiveness, so important now if you're going to be an early-round pick. Where Basham now, I think, is in the first-round discussion. Boy, was going in. Now maybe does he solidify? And I think Cam Sample has got to be considered on day two. You know what I liked about Basham was when they – because they and, – and Jim Nagy told me coming into the week, he's like, listen, we have a bunch of edge guys – we don't have a great group of defensive tackles. There's, there's just not a lot of talent to pull from there. So I'm not going to bring in a, a guy who has a lower graded defensive tackle and keep out a guy who has a higher graded end. Basham was a perfect example why you go to this game. They, they moved him inside and let him play three technique a lot because they didn't have those guys on the inside on the passing downs and different, different um, drills. And I thought he was most dominant as a pass rusher working from that three technique on the inside. So maybe you've got a guy who plays five technique, you know, standing up, just holding his blocks two two gapping and doing those things on the, the first three downs, or maybe he's a left defensive end who's setting the edge, but then on obvious passing downs, moving him inside might be the trick for him because he has never had huge sack numbers, but he's always been disruptive. And I think he showed a lot of that. Um, OC Odigizua. Did I, did I say that right? You're the pronunciation guy, Kuiper. Oh, Diggy um, Zua, I think is correct. Oh, Diggy yeah. Zua, I know. He had five pressures in the game. I mean, he – all week long, I thought he, he had a really good week. Jonathan Cooper from Ohio State had a lot of pressures in the game and was really active during pass rush drills. I know he's not a complete player, but he's a guy that, you know, on obvious passing downs you can bring in. I think he helped his value. Quincy Roche showed a lot more to me – in the senior bowl week than he did in his past couple of years, really studying on tape, he, you know, kind of a heavy handed tough guy, but he found a way to, to be productive throughout the week. And Dalen Hayes is another guy. I'm, I'm going to be beating you down with Dalen Hayes all, all, all process from now to the end of April. And he's a Notre Dame guy and that's your school. And I know that, but Dalen Hayes doesn't get the credit he deserves because he doesn't get all the sacks. He's, he's dropping into coverage a lot. He sets the edge, he's strong and physical, and he disrupts. And he showed all of those things throughout the week at the Senior Bowl. I think he's a second-round pick, in my opinion. That might be too rich for some other people, but he's the kind of player that works in the NFL because you don't have to take him out on any down, and you can use him in multiple facets. Now, before we move on to some of the players that may have seen their stock go down during the Senior Bowl week, We'll put a minute on the clock. If you have any last names that you want to highlight who stood out to you in a positive way down in Mobile. 
Well, I think when Todd was saying about Boogie Basham, uh, it's cousin Terrell Basham with the Jets, but uh, when you look at what he was able to do, Dave Clawson, we talked about uh, to him during the year, and he raved about Boogie Basham. And what he said is, guys, he is a guy, he hustles within the scheme as well as anybody. They would do things with him where just free him up, back him off the line, don't have to get after the quarterback, but go go sideline to sideline like a linebacker and make a tackle 15 yards down the field. He would do that. He was an unselfish player. Great, certainly within their scheme, and uh, a guy that I think can come in and maybe as a first-round pick and do a good job for you. So to see him, as, as Todd said, do a, <clears throat> a real good job down in Mobile was, was exciting to see and then exciting to watch. Uh, and those one-on-ones be unblockable. I mean, he was boom. He was in that backfield, and that's what you want uh, from the interior. Uh, to go to the point about guys that come in there with the right attitude and adjust so quickly, I want to go to the tight end, Trey McKitty. Trey McKitty with Florida State had impressive tape running with the football after the catch and use him in a lot of different ways there at Georgia. You didn't see a lot of him catching the football, uh, but the attitude, the character coming in, doing the job there. And then to see, as I said, John Bates from Boise state come in Monday and be able to contribute right away. I think it's going to be some tight ends. You can get in that third, fourth, fifth round area. They're going to help some teams. And I would go to McKitty from Georgia and Bates from Boise state as two of those guys. Before we go to wet blanket mode, Todd, any last things that you want to close the book on from the senior bowl? Maybe react to the names you just heard there from Mel. No, I, I think DJ Daniels played really well at the cornerback spot. And this is a brutal week for corners because you're yes. one-on-one with these receivers and, you know, they're putting you in off coverage. They're asking you to press and, and you're on an island. So the, the, the offensive players have the advantage. And I thought DJ Daniels from Georgia really held up well. Trey Brown is a player who's intriguing to me. He's gotten better throughout his career. He's a speedster from Oklahoma. He's always had great speed. You knew he could, he could run and stay with the guy, but he always struggled throughout his career to find the ball, locate the ball. And this past season, I think he finished with three interceptions. He had an interception late in the season. There was a big play for Oklahoma. And he's starting to get, kind of gain that confidence, turning and, and locating the ball and, and doing the little things that, that the really good corners in the NFL do. So it was good to see him practice really well throughout the week. And then the last guy that really stood out to me that we didn't mention earlier is Demetric Felton. And he, I call him a yeah. running back, call him a receiver coming out of UCLA. I mean, this guy, I have the numbers here. The last two years, he was all over the place. 218 carries, 77 receptions. They play him at running back. They move him and detach him to the slot. And he did both of those. He was working out with the wide receivers at some points, and he was working over cornerbacks with his routes. He was working as a running back and showing good instincts and burst through the line of scrimmage. And he's a guy, when they, they had on Tuesday and Wednesday practice, this, this company called Slant that, that put, a, you know, put a device on these players to measure their speed. And he was the third fastest player of the entire Seager Bowl. So it, t- it tells you that you're not only getting a guy who, who's versatile, but you're getting explosion and speed. There was a guy last year who had took a trade, which was abnormal, and then it took about the entire season. But Lynn Bowden Jr. last year out of Kentucky, he was a quarterback during his final year with the Wildcats. But at the end of last season for the Dolphins, he was running the football. He was catching a ton of passes at or near the line of scrimmage. There's sort of a highway for players like Demetrius Felton to drive on to be maybe not exactly a facsimile, but similar idea there. Uh, Let's move to some of the players that maybe didn't shine this past week and I think that one of the realities of Mac Jones' strong week in Mobile was not just that it suggested that he could be a top 15 or so pick, but also it showed the gap between him and most of the other quarterbacks there. 
I thought specifically one name that was inconsistent last week, Mel, was Felipe Franks from Arkansas, who is impossible to miss. The guy looks like a quarterback, which is sort of a lame cliche, but big, physical, huge arm. But inconsistency was part of the reason why his college career did not go as planned. And I thought last week was sort of consistent with that inconsistency. Yeah, it's hard to find quarterbacks after those top six. Kyle Trask from Florida being the sixth is going to get excited about that can be a future starter. I thought Jamie Newman, you got to cut him a little slack here because he didn't play. And, you know, you go from Wake Forest where you played pretty well. I mean, there were some interceptions there, but the mobility and the way you could move around and and throw some balls into tight coverages and and show that kind of arm strength to get it in there uh, was impressive at times with Jamie Newman. Then to opt out after going to Georgia and have to go down there with that kind of pressure. It's the same thing we said with Trey Lance. One game October 3rd was all he played, maybe pressing a little bit, maybe a little rusty. So for Jamie Newman, you got to realize that that some of those inaccuracies, some of the things – that there were there with him, uh, maybe because you didn't see him playing football this year, and that maybe affected him. But I think the quarterbacks after those first six to find somebody, maybe Kellen Mond could possibly be, but to say they're better than being a backup, it's not to ask you a question right now. What yeah. quarterback after Kyle Trask could be not just a starter for a game, what quarterback could be a successful starter in this league for a, a period of time more than just maybe a few games? I think Jamie Newman is a, is a guy to watch. Uh, you know, and you just mentioned him. He, he – I, I really, I still don't understand what exactly happened in Georgia and, and, and why do you transfer if you're not going to play and was he going to lose his job and what was the situation? But, um, but he, he has the physical tools. I, I would say Newman is, is the only guy that I would feel any sort of confidence in, in saying, you know, I, I love Ian Book for who Ian Book is. You know, he's, and I, he, he's not Baker Mayfield, but he's a similar style player. I don't, I hate saying poor man's because that's not what he is, but he's got that energy that he brings and he, he electrifies the offense and he can run and he's got great instincts and, and he makes some great throws. But the difference between a Baker and an Ian is that Ian's not as consistent with the ball placement and throwing the ball down the field. But, um, but Ian, Ian book, I think is a, a really good value on day three as a backup who could bring some energy if he has to start some games. But other than Newman, I think those are the, probably the seven guys that in my opinion right now, and there's still more tape to, to go through. But in my opinion, those are the seven guys that, that have a really good chance to be long-term starters in the league. And that means probably three or four of them are going to wind up, you know, fitting that quota. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg. And ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. 
Yeah, I thought, by the way, uh, Todd, that Ian maybe was the most improved quarterback from the start of the week to the end of the week. Ian Book from Notre yep. Dame, who had a couple of lights out team periods uh, during the practice portion. So, Mel, I'm just going to kind of rip through these guys one by one and just you give a quick synopsis sure. of uh, maybe why their stock was a little bit down this past week. Because I want to save some time at the end of the show to discuss the first, and I say first very intentionally, blockbuster quarterback trade of the offseason. Sage Surratt from Wake Forest, who got banged up a little bit during the week. Yeah. A guy who also opted out this past year. So many wide receivers. You talk about burst out of your break, being able to be a guy that can give that quarterback that window of opportunity to throw the ball into. But he certainly is a guy I think we'll, we'll see how pro days go moving forward. But there's so many receivers. I have a lot of wide receivers with third, fourth round grades uh, and, and guys that could be first second day type picks at wide receiver. They're going to, somebody's got to get lost in the shuffle. I wouldn't say he will. Some thought second round going in, I'm thinking more third, fourth, uh, but certainly I think the wide receiver depth will impact that Cornell Powell wide receiver Clemson, same thing, late round pick, uh, not, not much there to say, move up, move down. Uh, I think when you look at Taron Jackson, coastal Carolina pass rusher, uh, he flashed to Coastal Carolina, some real intriguing pass rush potential. Uh, not as enamored now as maybe you thought you would be. Uh, Peyton Turner, defensive end, Houston. A couple of the offensive linemen, Larrick Jackson, Iowa offensive tackle, David Moore guard, Grambling, uh, Deontay Brown guard, Alabama. Uh, Brian Mills, cornerback, North Carolina Central, competed, uh, but at times the receivers got the best of them in coverage. Thompson, Azrael Dean, kind of that versatile tweener. Where's he going to fit in in the NFL coming out of Florida State? Combo outside linebacker safety uh, were some of the guys. And, and Alex Leatherwood, we talked about, is he a left tackle, probably right tackle guard coming out of Alabama. So you don't want to go crazy over a couple weeks, a couple days of practice or a one game in a one week situation. But uh, some guys that really needed to be maybe a little bit more impactful uh, weren't. But I, I don't really like Todd, the downgrade guys too much. It's, everybody's thrown together. There's a lot of pressure there. So I don't want to say stock down. Uh, maybe these guys did maybe come forward to elevate. Yeah, what happened, man? I thought, I thought this was going to be you asking yeah. players and bullet points. See what happened? Don't let him. Don't let him steamroll you like that. Well, you know the thing is, his knowledge is so encyclopedic that I'm like, I just don't want to, you know. And there are a couple when he hit uh, Hamza Nasir uh the name there, which I know I butchered. I said if Melkins can just power right through that one, yeah. have added my friend. Right, exactly, and he was Here's one of the another name that I'm going to struggle with. Okay. Levi, I got that part. The defensive yeah. tackle from Onzerike. Washington. Onzerike, right? No, 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 Onzerike. All right. Well, I'll have to check the pronunciation book on that. Onzerike. <laughs> Onzerike. Regardless, on tape in 2019, Kuiper, this, this guy's one of the most dominant defensive tackles, three techniques, up the field, penetrating, disrupting. And you saw him in practice this week, and he, you know, he had some flash plays, but he, mm-hmm. I thought he was going to come in and dominate this week. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the – the trends that we saw is a lot of these opt-out guys that, that didn't play and haven't had the training and haven't been in football shape and playing games and, and gaining more experience. They just weren't quite, not all of them, but a, a large portion of them, they just weren't kind of ready and, and as instinctive. And they just didn't seem to have the bounce of some of the guys who were coming off the season and, and are just still in, in football game mode. Yeah. It certainly that's was. One of the reasons, guys, that's one of the reasons why I've had GM say to me, Watch out for the opt-out guys becoming maybe a little bit further down the line than maybe you're projecting. Maybe they drop just a little bit further. Maybe if there's players in a bunch together, you go with the guys that played this year. And certainly that's why I don't want to knock these guys that didn't play, like Anzurike, because you know, to say go out there and I'm 
in a, that immobile in that environment and play your best football when you were opted out and didn't play this year. You weren't banging heads every week. These guys were coming in on the heels of a season where they were. So they had a big advantage. Just confidence is a big thing. And I don't know if you come in there as an opt-out saying, boy, I'm going to go down there. Nico Collins tried to do it. He opted out of Michigan. He had a decent week. No question. Nico Collins held his own. Some maybe didn't. But you got to be careful of dropping them down too far. And I do believe come draft day, guys, there will be bargains on these opt-outs. Because of maybe what you saw in Mobile. Maybe you're conservative and you don't want to go with somebody you haven't watched since 2019. Or it was just a one-year guy in 2019 and didn't play this year. Those guys, those talented kids that maybe get bumped down a little bit, could still turn out to be bargain-type picks. Let's move forward, though, to, as I mentioned earlier, the first major quarterback trade of the offseason in which we saw Matthew Stafford sent from Daniel's Detroit Lions, of course, our great producer, Daniel Dopp, to the (laughs) Los Angeles Rams in exchange for a 2022 and a 2023 first-round pick, plus an additional third-round pick, and Jared Goff. Let's start on the Lions side here, because we understand the certainty of the Rams quarterback situation, and we may never talk about the Rams on this podcast because they haven't made a first-round pick since Jared (laughs) Goff, and they won't do so until, as of right now, 2024. When you see this trade and the parameters of this one, Todd, do you think that this takes the Lions out of the quarterback market at pick seven? Because if they weren't squarely in the mix, they were at least flirting with it previously. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think there's no question. And it's because of how much money they're going to have invested now with Jared Goff at that position. So to me, I mean, they get some value with, with the trades and, and they get some picks and they're rebuilding. And I understand all of that, but I think they're, they're out of the, you know, the first round quarterback picking spot. They, mm. Number seven, I think it's wide receiver. Now that becomes the primary, you've got to put some guys around Goff and, is Jamar Chase still available, the LSU guy? Or one of the wide receivers from Bama, Devontae Smith, who if he's not the first receiver taken, he's probably going to be the second receiver taken. Is he still available at seven? And then if not, is it Jalen Waddle coming off the ankle injury against Georgia earlier this year? We saw him in the national championship. He was battling through. He was a decoy. He had three catches. But we know what he is when he's healthy. And he'll be healthy next season. And this guy's special. So to me, you've got three receivers there that are all great options. And I think Detroit shifts its focus because it, you can't put all that money into a quarterback and then go and draft a quarterback at seven overall. It makes no sense, Mel. No, and Detroit now becomes a key spot in that first round, early first round. They're one pick ahead of Carolina. I'm trading yep. out of there from Detroit. Uh, I'm trying to get extra picks and trying to build this football team that way. And I think if you're the 49ers at 12, the New England Patriots at 15, would you want to move up ahead of Carolina to that seventh spot to get the quarterback that you want, Uh, knowing that, hey, there could be a little interest in Mac Jones from Carolina, Trey Lance. We'll see where Justin Fields ends up. Uh, But if the quarterback's there, that might be a spot for Detroit to move down. A lot of neat areas on his team. The defense, you think about what they need a wide receiver. Host of positions need to be upgraded around Jared Goff. And just an interesting stat, guys, on these quarterbacks. I'll go back to Stafford's year, 2009, up till Goff's year in 2016, right? That's eight drafts between 2009 and 2016. 22 quarterbacks went in the first round during that period of time, right? 22. Only one left. That's with their original team. That's Carson Wentz. Go back to Tom Brady's year in 2000, up till 2016 golf year. 
That's 44 quarterbacks in the first round. Only four remain with their original team. That would be those four are Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, and Carson Wentz. That's it. And between 2009 and 2016, as I said, now with the Stafford trade and the golf movement, only one left, and that's Carson Wentz. That's pretty amazing over that period of time. Over only one quarterback out of 22 between 2009 and 2016 would be with the team that drafted them. Hey, Field, see what happens when you don't have to travel and go to all these sites and you can sit inside your compound all the time. You have to do this research. The stats write themselves, I was hanging on it, though, Mel. I'll be honest. I I was hanging on every word there. I learned learned this from Hembo. That's our guy. Hembo Hembo knew this stuff long before. This was my own. I know Hembo said (laughs) I, I knew that already, but I did this on my own. All right, so I, I like Todd's point about how this might put wide receiver uh, in the focus for the Lions at pick seven. We can discuss that in just a second uh, more. But Mel, uh, and I understand like these trades typically are best judged a few years down the line. It's a lot harder to judge them in the moment. There's been a lot of reporting about the other offers that the Lions were able to entertain. Were you surprised at all that something like the Carolina Panthers' eighth overall pick, which has been at least reported to have been the primary piece in a trade for Matthew Stafford was not more desirable than the two first round picks they got plus Jared Goff, who I think the hate has probably gone too far for Jared Goff recently, but still I don't view him as one of the 10 to 12 surefire build your franchise around him type quarterbacks. Are you surprised they went this route? No, not at all. I, I think I think uh, feel the, the Brad Holmes connection to, to Jared Goff, yep. uh, new GM with the Detroit Lions there when they drafted him, obviously. 26 years of age, been to a Super Bowl, was outstanding, fell back. Obviously, you know, think about late with the injury with the thumb this year. Um, they had their young quarterback. You're in a division with Kirk Cousins. You, you, know, you got Aaron Rodgers. Uh, now you have a situation with Green Bay, as I said, with Aaron. Then you have Kirk. You think about where they are with Chicago, not knowing what the quarterback situation is going to be moving forward. Now you have Jared Goff. Now you have those extra first-round picks. I think trading off a seven would be an option now instead of taking – and I don't know, like Chase will be there. Maybe Jalen Waddell is. But you could move off a seven if that's a hot spot for a quarterback and pick up more choices and get an extra three this year. Uh, so I just felt like in those years, and it's been talked about, you will know more about the players in next year's draft and the following year than you will this year. You yeah. have the least amount of information on kids this year than we probably ever had in the history of the draft. Going right. back to the days when I used to look at the Street and Smith magazines sure. and, you know, and figure <laughs> out what they were doing. So I think, and, and, and if you look at that, there's a reason why that 2022, 2023 first makes a lot of sense overall pick this year. Uh, so I think there was a lot of kind of method, you can call it method to the madness. I don't think it was any madness there. I think it was a lot of method to it. And I think it makes sense for the Rams. They get the guy and Hey, the pressure's now on Sean McVay. Now you mm-hmm. have the quarterback that you feel can be a major upgrade over Jared Goff. And I, I love Matthew Stafford. I loved him coming out of high school, college. I love him. And now it's some pressure on Matthew because this is kind of this is the team you wanted to go to. Give the Lions credit. They sent Matthew Stafford out of respect, out of the deal, the way it was put together. Everything, everything aligned, all the stars aligned for the Lions to get what they got and for Matthew to get the team that he wanted to go to that's ready to win. And he's going to be the kind of that missing link to get them, they hope, back to a Super Bowl. So pressure all over the place on Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford to get it done at a real high level. Because let's face it. This is Super Bowl or bust. They've been yeah. to the playoffs or bust. This is pressure that he is welcoming, though. I mean, after all, I mean, it, it is a, it's been a dumpster fire in Detroit for a long, long time. 
you look at their rushing. You, you know, you don't. I, I haven't talked to him, no, Hembo at all today, so I don't have the exact numbers. But during his tenure, I think they've been the worst team in terms of rushing yards per game in the NFL during the, since Stafford got there to this past season. He's never had a supporting cast. He's had a couple of good receivers, yes. Had Calvin Johnson, I get it. But he's never had a great offensive line. He's never had a great run game to balance out the attack. It's all been on him. And they've never really had a great full football team. And so anyone who wants to go the wins and losses, forget it. This guy is one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. And I think he's dying to get out to L.A. and look around and see some of the players around him. Like, oh, we have weapons. We can do different things. I can hand the ball off and we can pick up 7, 12, 15 yards. I haven't been able to do that my whole career in Detroit. So I think he's dying to, to just get this opportunity to play with a winning organization with a lot of talent around him and a, a bright offensive mind in McVeigh. Hey, Field, what a change for McShay. He finally is off the hating of Stafford to now love oh, Stafford. Oh, please. Like, you <laughs> Todd. You were hating on him for the first year. He was drafted. Oh, second my gosh. Year drafted. You're third. unbelievable. Now he's on Matthew Stafford. So I had him as like the sixth overall prospect in that class, Mel. Oh, okay, yeah, you were hating on him. Let's go yeah. back to the tape. You were hating on Stafford. But anyway, well, to, Ma- to Matthew Stafford, uh, don't go back in your chair like I'm saying something off base. It was true. Well, now, in terms your of – Your turn. We got the tape to prove it. But anyway – on Stafford, you go from the Lions where expectations not that all that high, although I thought they might have been a surprise team. They weren't this year. But to now to where the expectations are through the roof, that's a lot, lot different there for Matthew Stafford. But it's nice, to Todd, to see you say some great things about a great quarterback in Matthew Stafford. I think it's okay. a fascinating trade. I, I, you guys, I, <laughs> I like the fact that Mel said Super Bowl or bust, by the way, because if the Rams don't win a Super Bowl before Matthew Stafford is no longer a Los Angeles Ram, it's going to be really difficult to look back on this trade favorably given the price that they paid. Um, I will just note this on the way out of here, because I know we got to wrap up, is one thought that I can't let go of here, and I know that he is Todd's former college teammate, but I'm going to take a moment to shower some praise on Joe Douglas. He maneuvered Jamal Adams, a safety who at the time was looking for a massive raise and is still looking for a raise at some point for a pair of first round picks from the Seattle Seahawks that could be higher than the picks that the lions end up getting for Matthew Stafford in this trade here. That to me looks like a masterstroke trade as we evaluate these blockbusters that have taken place over the past year or two. So just a reminder to Jets fans that the results aren't there yet, but I think the process has been wise and sound in place. Uh, I know we got to go because uh, Mel has, well, everybody's very busy. I know Mel is back on the clock. He's uh, working with our NFL Nation reporters today, but just a reminder on the way out that uh, we have a new podcast dropping every Tuesday. It should be around 4 p.m. And you can check out the video version if you are so inclined on the ESPN YouTube page. Thanks as always to not only Mel and Todd, but also our intrepid reporter uh, producer, Daniel Dopp, who uh, he's a Lions fan. So we'll have to get his thoughts on the Matthew Stafford trade on another podcast. Until next week, we'll talk to you guys later.